live from Studio 67 in Florida's Capital County. It's time to be fackish. Access granted. Good afternoon. This is the Fackish Podcast, and I'm Craig Mosteller, the Director of External Affairs, sitting in for Davin Suggs, our Policy Director. We are ending Committee Week 3 and ready to get going. So quick introductions of everybody. Bob, start us off. Hi, I'm Bob McKee. I'm the Deputy Director of Public Policy, and I handle finance, tax, and appropriations issues. And my email address is bmckee at fl-counties.com. Awesome. Eddie? Uh, hi, I'm Eddie Labrador. I'm Senior Legislative Counsel for FAC. Um, my email address is elabrador at fl-counties.com. Awesome. Tiffany. Hi, I'm Tiffany Henderson. I am the Senior Public Policy Coordinator for FAC, and I am the voice behind an email address you probably see often, thenderson at fl-counties.com. Jeff? Hi, this is Jeff Scala, Associate Director of Public Policy. I handle environment, water, agriculture, and tech issues. My email is jscala at fl-counties.com. And close this out. Best for last, Sarah. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah, and I am the Policy Analyst, and you can reach me at shenley at fl Sorry, at flcounties.com. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. She's new. It's fine, y'all. Forgive her. All right, we're going to do the rundown now, which is just a quick list of the bills that we've been following this week, what's been going on. Sarah, start us off. All right, so I am covering in for Tonette this week. So starting with something that has been a priority this session, House Bill 7, Civil Liability for Damages by Representative McClure, which again protects businesses and governmental entities against COVID-19 claims, was heard this week. An amendment was filed by Representative Driscoll that requires plaintiffs to submit an affidavit testimony for any licensed medical expert, and that failed. So House Bill 7 passed through House pandemics and emergencies committee and is heading to its final stop in judiciary the senate companion sb 72 is in commerce and tourism and because house bill 7 does not provide protections for healthcare providers the highly anticipated bill for this was filed this week by senator brandes and is expected to be heard next wednesday in judiciary And something that was also heard the very first week of committee week, HB9, protecting consumers against fraudulent activities during the pandemic, which is related to vaccine availability and access, uh, fraudulent activity dealing with that to steal personal identity and money is in its second committee, criminal justice and public safety, and that should be up next week. And then moving on to health, safety, and justice, two pieces that were heard this week was Senate Bill 510 state funds by Senator Hooper in Community Affairs. And this bill prevents further sweeping of the Sadowski Affordable Housing Funds. FAC waived in support of this, and its next stop is finance and tax. And the the companion bill for that is HB 13, and it has not been heard. 
And finally, Senator Brandes's famous criminal justice reform package, SB 232, criminal justice, was heard this week. And this package contains language requiring custodial interrogation be recorded electronically whenever someone is detained. It revises some sentencing review processes for juvenile offenders and then creates some for young adult offenders, among many other things in this bill. So this passed unanimously through its committee, and that's about it for me. Awesome, Sarah, thanks so much. Bob, you gonna give us an update on finance and tax? Sure, uh, Thursday morning in the Senate Gover Government Oversight and Accountability Committee, a couple of retirement-related bills were heard. First, Senate Bill 7018, a committee bill, was introduced by that same committee, the Senate Gover Government Oversight and Accountability Committee. It was presented by the chair, Senator Ray Ro uh, Rodriguez. The bill establishes the employer contribution rates for the Florida retirement system beginning July 1, 2021. Uh, the rates proposed in the bill are the same rates that were proposed in the governor's budget recommendations. Um, the bill was introduced by unanimous 6-0 vote to the committee. And as a committee bill, it will go next for referencing. Also, same committee, Senate Bill 84, also dealing with retirement, but also by Senator Ray Rodriguez, was heard in the Senate Government Oversight and Accountability Committee. The bill would require eligible employees initially enrolling in the Florida retirement system on or after July 1, 2022, um, to be compulsory members of the investment plan and membership in the pension plan is not permitted for those new members. The bill passed the committee four to two and moves to the appropriation committee for its final stop. There is no house companion currently filed. In the uh, community affairs committee on Tuesday, Senate bill 132 was heard dealing with homestead, rental of homestead property by Senator Travis Huston, Hudson. The, uh, the bill passed the committee unanimously, 8-0, and moves on to finance and tax. There is currently no House companion. The bill is agended for the Revenue Estimating Conference tomorrow for an impact analysis. Um, we do expect there to be a, a non-insignificant impact as the bill may expand Homestead to properties that are currently not eligible for it. Um, also on the impact conference tomorrow it are um, Senate Bill 50, and House Bill 15 dealing with um, e-fairness and marketplace providers. And that's finance and tax. Awesome. Thanks, Bob, so much. All right, Jeff, give us a rundown on ag and well, environment. Well, this week in, in ag, there was one bill, Senate Bill 88, uh, farming operations by Senator Broder was heard in its first committee stop, and it passed 10 to 1. This bill is related to agritourism. Agritourism and proposes several changes and limitations on nuisance actions. Uh, two bills over in Senate and environment, environmental and natural resources were heard and passed unanimously. Senate Bill 64 on reclaimed water. This is the bill that will end or uh, utilities will be required to propose changes uh, to eliminate surface water discharges. The other bill, Senate Bill 588 by Senator Book. Uh, passed its first committee stop unanimously. This bill designates the Southeast Florida Coral Reef Ecosystem Conservation Area after former commissioner, Kristen Jacobs. A uh, couple bills that we're gonna be tracking that got filed this week, uh, House Bill 761 and its companion, Senate Bill 1008 related to solar electrical generating facilities. Uh, 
Um, and again, this week, there was a several presentations from the House Environment, Ag and Flooding Subcommittee, but more on that later. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff, so much. Eddie, close us out. Okay. Um, this week, we've had uh, two bills in community and urban affairs. Uh, first one is uh, House Bill 35 by Representative Fine. This uh, bill gives the option to local governments or government entities uh, to publish legal notices in their uh, um, accessible websites as opposed to publishing in the newspaper. The bill passed the committee after a lot of debate and opposition by the news industry, uh, 11 to six, and now moves to its last committee of reference, the Judiciary Committee in the House. Uh, also, uh, this afternoon on Thursday, uh, we, um, we saw uh, the Local Administration and Veterans Affairs Committee in the House take up uh, House Bill 59 by Representative McLean. That bill, uh, even though it's related to growth management, it's actually the property rights bill. It's been hanging around for about five years now. It basically requires that Local government comp plans have a property rights elements uh, uh, addressed within it and to be used for local decision making. It sets out a model statement of property rights, but local governments can have their own so long as they're consistent with that. Um, the bill passed uh, also uh, after a lot of debate on 12 to 6, and it now moves to um, the just civil justice and property rights subcommittee uh, next. Awesome. Thank you, Eddie, so much. So that's the roll call and the rundown. And next we're going to head to one big thing. Alrighty, guys, Sarah, tell us the data point for this week. What's been going on? All right. So data point three this week, Jeff really wanted me to do some justice on food insecurity issues related to COVID-19 impacts. And as predicted, COVID has been a challenge with providing Floridians who are food insecure the resources that they need. We are seeing an increase of individuals coming into food banks because they've been laid off from the pandemic or they don't have the funds to afford food for their families. So Feeding Florida had a great presentation last week on growing wage gaps and how these trends of food insecurity will increase over the next five years into 2025 until we start to see these uh, levels backing down to pre-COVID numbers. And FAC actually this past year adopted food insecurity as one of its guiding principles and it supports and we support increasing funding and implementing policies to reduce food insecurity, and especially in the aftermath of COVID-19. And some stats for you all, um, pre-COVID times, 2.8 million Floridians were food insecure. And as of now, 3.6 million Floridians this year will be food insecure. And pre-COVID, 5.6 million pounds were distributed each week to food banks. And with COVID, we're seeing about 9 to 10 million pounds are distributed each week, with the highest peak being 12.7 million pounds. So we're clearly seeing some major issues within food security this year. 
Awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much. So you guys can check it, check out that data point, data point in our legislative bulletin on Friday, and it'll be on our website Friday afternoon. So thanks, Sarah, so much for pulling that together. Tiffany, what's your one big thing this week? Hi, my one big thing this week is I just wanted to remind everyone of the DEO, Department of Economic Opportunity Regional Workshops on broadband. These are being coordinated through the regional planning councils. DEO is trying to collect information for their strategic plan that they hope to um unveil this year. Um, I believe it in June or July is when it's due. But we are encouraging as many stakeholders and leaders in um, throughout Florida to attend these. Again, they are regional workshops. They conclude on February 12th. So please visit FAC's website, visit Access 67 so you can get the full schedule. Also, we, FAC, we are still encouraging our members to adopt resolutions on broadband and basically you know, that will show that, you know, we are supportive of broadband deployment. We want to gather as much information as we can so we can, um, you know, close the digital divide. Those resolutions or any information in regards to broadband and Access 67 can be sent to me. Again, my email address is thenderson at flcounties.com. Awesome. Thank you, Tiffany, so much. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff changed your name. Jeff, what is your one big thing this week? It's just Jeff, but over, like I said earlier, in the House Environment, Agriculture, and Flooding Subcommittee, it lived up to its name this week, and they have held several presentations on resiliency and flooding in Florida. The presentations dealt with how local governments are grappling with the gargantuan tasks of holding back the seas, but really adapting and mitigating for the future. Um, the big concepts that are being stressed here and that have been stressed in our guiding principles for, uh, within water and environmental sustainability are regionalism and collaboration. And one of the presentations really took that even to the next step and said how vital it is even with our regional planning councils along with water management districts, local governments, state governments, federal partners to unite and use those limited and scarce resources to address the issues dealing with climate change. Um, you know, we, we know all of those local groups like the East Central Florida Regional Resilience Collaborative, the Southeast Florida Regional Climate Compact, Tampa Bay Regional Resiliency Coalition, and they need partners at the state which we saw last week with the governor's reveal of resilient Florida in the budget. So these were some of the issues that were discussed. Um, a sea level rise impact projection study tool was highlighted from the department, um, their office of coastal resiliency and the Florida beach, uh, sorry, the Florida shore and beach preservation association uh, highlighted the return on investment that beach funding has in providing for that first line of defense uh, to coastal erosion. Um, it, it's just a sign of things to come over in the house, potentially on the funding side and just stay tuned. Awesome, Jeff, thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, Eddie, um, what's your one big thing here with community and urban affairs? Uh, transportation, uh, this week, um, the Transportation Committee uh, in the Senate heard uh, several presentations about um, uh, from both the, not only the Department of Transportation, but Department of Highway Safety Motor Vehicles as to their legislative priorities, 
uh, and also heard from the Florida Airports Council, the Ports Council, and the Florida Public Transit Association as to COVID impacts uh, to those particular industries. Um, with respect to, uh, and, and I'll touch on DOT's um, legislative priorities uh, for this coming session, uh, one includes uh, increasing the debt service cap for uh, bond and right-of-way acquisition that hasn't been increased since 2008. Um, they also want to uh, get an exemption from having to competitively procure um, credit worthiness um, entities. Uh, the state has to do a credit worthiness check for certain federal programs uh, that provide funding, like for example, the TIFIA uh, program, which is the Transportation Innovation blah, blah, blah. <laughs> is that its official name? Blah, blah, blah. Yes. I, I, I can't recall all the, uh, the acronym letters, but the federal government requires that the state be credit worthy, make sure that it has the particular um, authority and uh, opportunity to repay, uh, you know, the loans that are made available through TIFIA. So um, in order to do that, they need to get uh, uh, credit checks from Moody's, Standard and & Poor's and Fitch. Uh, and that has to be, um, if no exemption is given, uh, they have to competitively procure that. Um, they're also um, seeking to reinstate the authority of the chair and vice chair uh, of the Legislative Budget Commission actually approving um, program amendments. Uh, this is uh, work program uh, amendments to the work program. Uh, if the Legislative Budget Commission cannot meet within the 30 day time period after they make a request for such an amendment, um, that authority apparently is in the implementing bill, uh, but they want to restore it permanently in statute. Uh, the other issue that's come up is uh, NPOs are required to give the department their priority list of projects. Unfortunately, that priority list isn't due until October 1st. And given that we now have uh, an even numbered years session starting in January, it just doesn't provide enough time. So the department is looking to move that timetable back to August 1st. And then there are certain administrative uh, changes here and there that we'll probably see in a department bill that will come out soon. Um, as I also said, the Airports Council and FPTA and the Ports Council all uh, talked about their particular industries, how hard they've been hit by COVID-19 and what they have been doing uh, for recovery. Uh, we've actually lost on the airport side, we have 20 commercial airports. These are your big, large international airports. We have four large airports uh, um, in, in, in the state of Florida, which I believe is the only one in the whole country that has that many large hub airports, uh, Miami, um, Hollywood, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, um, Tampa, and uh, also Orlando. Um, and 
uh, overall, the economic impact of these uh, airports is about 176 billion pre-COVID, and now it's down to about 138 billion. So there has been a substantial billion-dollar loss to our airport industry uh, from COVID-19. The ports have also um, seen a drop in their, uh, with with the cruise ships not being able to sail um, and the CDC not relenting on allowing cruise ships to sail. um, They have seen a substantial drop off in revenues. Um, Of course, the cruise industry has been hit very hard. Uh, cargo is looking better every day as it's starting to uptick. Um, and at the same time, we have, um, uh, unlike airports, seaports have not gotten any money, any help at all from our federal partners. So one of the things that uh, uh, the Ports Council is looking for and advocating for at the federal level is to get some relief from our federal government. Awesome. Thanks, Eddie, so much. All right, um, Bob, we're going to hear from you on what's your one big thing when it comes to finance, tax, and administration? Well, this past week, the one big thing was budget presentations, budget presentations, and budget presentations. The governor's staff presented the governor's budget recommendations in both the House and Senate full appropriations committee, and then their pertinent portions of the budget for each of the subcommittees. Um, One of the interesting takeaways were that there were a number of members on both sides, members in leadership, who expressed some question and concern about the level of funding in the governor's budget. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds going forward as the legislature awaits their next round of revenue estimates, which should come late this month uh, through the middle of next month and put together their budget recommendations or actual budget. So when do we think the House and Senate will come out with their budgets? Do we know? It should be mid-March, you know, mid, mid-March till till uh, um, beginning of April. Gotcha, be so we had a little bit of time. Awesome, thank you, Bob, so much. All right, Sarah, close us out with health, safety, and justice, then and in for Tonet. All right, so instead of highlighting on legislation, I wanted to highlight some big COVID news that's been going on on the state and federal level recently. So first, the Florida reservation system has launched this week and counties can opt out of that and use their own systems if they so choose. There are about 325 public pharmacies as of now in 23 counties, which is really exciting. And as of yesterday, seniors make up about 70% of the Total vaccinated in the almost 1.8 million Floridians that have been vaccinated. And the governor this week said that's about 30% of the senior population in Florida. And again, Governor DeSantis and Director Moskowitz reiterate a supply issue, but supplies is actually starting to increase. And this week we'll see 325,000 vaccines come out next week. And hopefully in the new in the next three weeks, it'll be the same amount. And again, you see those vaccinations being allocated on Tuesdays and coming out the following Monday. And on the federal level, the Biden administration has announced that they will be allocating additional vaccines to retail pharmacies 
through a limited program. So these additional sites will be picked up, which is exciting for rural counties that might not have some of those um, public locations or bigger pharmacies in their area. And finally, major news, the Biden team announced the waiving, the waiving of FEMA reimbursements for the non-federal cost share. And FEMA will now cover 100% of those costs until September 30th, 2021. And I know that this was a major priority for both state and local governments. That's great news, Sarah. Yeah, that'll be a huge impact to our counties and their bottom line. So that's great news. All right, guys, thank you so much for your one big thing. Uh, Tiffany, you have any big announcements for us this week? Anything on the radar? I do, I do. I have a few shout outs. Um, first shout out is for the Tallahassee weather. I hope it's this gorgeous all over Florida. It's a little chilly, but it's a beautiful day. Um, next, I want to talk about Facts Legislative Day. It is March 17th, 2021. It's on a Wednesday. Shout out to all the Pisces in March and to our very own Kelly Williams. It is her birthday on March 17th, our meeting planner. So um, she's going to have a busy day. And it's also St. Patrick's Day. But anyway, Legislative Day is going to be a hybrid event. So our in-person festivities will take place at the Donald Tucker Civic Center here in Tallahassee. And then, of course, we have our Zoom option as well. For those of you who would like to attend virtually, please go on our website and register. Registration is open at flcounties.com. So we look forward to seeing you um, either here in Tallahassee or on Zoom. Also, I want to give a shout out to the NACO's virtual legislative conference. They're going completely virtual and um, it's March 8th through the 26th. And what they're doing is they will feature um, something each week. So, for example, March 8th through the 12th, it will be their policy steering committee meetings, which includes um, any standing committees, their caucuses, advisory committees. March 17th through 19th, their board of directors will meet and other NACO uh, governance meetings will take place. And then March 24th through the 26th, they'll have workshops and they will also have a virtual Hill Day. So be sure their registration is open. Be sure to go to NACO.org to register and to find out more information. And lastly, FAC will soon be launching Capital Conversations in partnership with Eric Poole and the ICG team. And basically this is going to be a webcast. Um, It's launching later this month and it will feature legislators um, and we're going to start with those legislators hailing from county government. So um, we're inviting them on, former county commissioners who are now legislators, we're inviting them on to discuss their 2021 um, legislative priorities. So please stay tuned for that. And that is all I have, Craigan. Awesome. Thank you, Tiffany, so much. we got a lot upcoming. Hope you guys get your registrations in for Ledge Day. All right, guys, we're, about, we're running out of time. So this is your last word. Not last words. Okay, fine. You can have three last words. I'm a giver. All right, so what are your three last words to sum up the week? Can you all do it? Are you ready? All right, Sarah, go. Pretty chill. Nice. Enjoy it. It's not going to last long. Jeff? It won't be three words, but it looks like the legislature is going to try to stop the rain and with the help and assist from local governments. Awesome. Bob, three words. Not chill. Chillier. (laughs) It was pretty cold this week. Tiffany, what are your final three words for the week? Let's keep working. Love it. I should have made you go last. Eddie. It's not three words. It's two. Moving ahead. 
I love it. It was a nice committee week. We're closing out. Um, my three words will be thank you, Davin. Anyway, we're glad to sub in for Davin today. This is Cragen closing out with our famous Teddy Roosevelt quote. It's not the critic who counts, not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. Thank you all very much. Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon.